Hey, this is Zach from Bakersfield, California. Hey, this is Noah from Dallas, North Carolina. Hey, this is Tim from Belgium, and you're listening to the Dab Tide Podcast. How's it going, guys? Welcome back to the Dad Tired Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Lopes. Join me every Monday as we dive into what it looks like to be men who fall in love with Jesus and help our families do the same. You can learn more about our books, resources, conferences, and even online community by going to dadtired.com. Let's dive into today's episode. What's up, guys? Jared back here with you on the Dad Tired Podcast. I am ridiculously excited. <laughs> this week uh, because we launched our family leadership program last week and we filled up our spots in two and a half days. We had completely maxed out uh, all of our spots for that program and we have already started to fill up November's cohort. So if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, go back and listen to last week's podcast, which is essentially, uh, I think the title was something to the effect of, are you ready to start leading your family now? And so listen to that one if you haven't already and kind of gives an overview of our family leadership program. You can also go to dadtired.com forward slash lead, and that will give you a little bit more information about it as well. But man, the guys in this program, I I just can't even explain how excited I am about this. There's so many guys that have for years wanted to take their role as the spiritual leader of their home seriously. They feel like, uh, admittedly, they would say that they just haven't been doing well. They haven't been taking that role seriously, but now is the time. And so they jumped in the family leadership program. We have only we're only in week one and these guys are already talking about how it has been so impactful in their personal walk with the Lord and then also just in their marriage and in their parenting and thinking about what it looks like for them to very practically start leading their family to Jesus every single day. So again, if you're not familiar with it and uh, you want to be, or you're on the fence, whether or not you should jump in, you should most definitely jump in. We, every week or I'm sorry, every month we cap out spots um, because we try to keep the cohorts really small so that I can really invest deeply into each group. And so uh, we've already started to fill up November's cohort. So if you're listening to this in October 2020 and you want to jump into November, uh, I would highly recommend that you jump in right now before the rest of the spots fill up for that. I will also say this, that every month you can jump in at any time. So you can go in and purchase your spot to really hold your spot for the next month's cohort. So if you jump in mid-October, mid-November, mid-December, we just automatically put you in into the next month's cohort. So you can reserve your spot now. And then when you jump in or when you pay, uh, you'll be able to jump into the next month's cohort with that group of guys when we get started. So anyway, uh, man, I'm just, I'm like, we've been doing Dad Tired for uh, coming up on five years now, and this is by far the most excited I've ever been because I feel like I'm finally getting to have personal relationships with you guys instead of just staring and talking at a computer screen. I actually get to know your names and your wife's names and your kids' names, and we're like doing life a little bit more together. So I'm pumped up. Today's interview uh, is with a guy named Vlad. I'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name. He'll do it better than I can. Uh, But dude, oh my gosh, this interview is so powerful, man. Uh, I didn't know what to expect coming into this interview. I actually thought we were just going to do a really short segment uh, talking about Samaritan's Purse, which has been a big sponsor and partner of ours for the last couple of years. Um, But we ended up talking and talking and talking. I was like, oh man, this is just so, so good. So I know you're going to be highly encouraged by this podcast interview today with Vlad. So I'll stop yapping and I'll let you start jumping into that. I love you guys. I hope this is encouraging to you.
Vlad, so glad that you're hanging out with us today, man. For the audience who may not be familiar with you, tell us who you are and uh, what you're up to these days, bro. Well, my name is Vladimir Viktorovich Proknevsky. Such a long name. I feel sorry for my wife. She has to inherit that name. <laughs> but don't feel bad. Her, her maiden name wasn't that much easier to pronounce. Anyway, but I, um, I am originally from Kiev, Ukraine. I, uh, I come from a family of nine children. And when I, when I was nine years old, I received a shoebox with Samaritan's Purse Operation Christmas Child. And uh, let me tell you. What an experience that was. It was, uh, it was something I'll never forget. Mm, I, I want to dive into all that. Um, but first, dude, like, just tell me about like your family. You said you're, you're married. Yeah, you're, you're I am. Uh, so I have two kids. I have a four-year-old and a seven-year-old. Mm. In fact, I was just spending time with them this morning doing schoolwork. And let me tell you, I'm uh, <laughs> doing virtual learning is, is something else. It tests your patience. I've been married for 10 years now. And... Uh, live in beautiful Charlotte, North Carolina. Yeah. I originally moved to, when I moved to the United States in 2000, I moved to East Tennessee. That's where I learned my English. And uh, let's see if I get this right. In Tennessee, they called me Vladimir. I think something <laughs> like that. <laughs> be like, Vladimir, boy, you ain't from around here. <laughs> and then I moved up to uh, Columbus, Ohio. I went to Ohio State. And uh, I'm truly an immigrant. And then after that, just uh, went down to Charlotte. My twin brother moved down to Charlotte and, uh, you know, my, if if uh, if you know any twins, they're so close. Like we were very close growing yeah. up. I always jokingly say that we shared a womb, a room, and a complicated last name. <laughs> and so when he moved down to Charlotte, I knew I had to follow him. And I moved down to Charlotte to work for Billy Graham. And that's when I happened mm-hmm. to. During my interview, I happened to mention that I received a shoebox, and uh, that that's uh, the rest is history. Dang. <laughs> There, I have like fifteen questions just in that little introduction. <laughs> First, we're the same age. And uh, you said you were born in 87. I was born in 87. What's your birthday? Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, April 16th, okay. day after taxes. That's how I remember. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was born March 3rd, so we're, we're real close in age. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And then uh, I've been married 10 years. Um, wow, congratulations. Yeah, it, well, you as well, man. So we're, Thank uh, you. We're, uh, maybe I'm your like third twin brother. And <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the family. Yeah, I appreciate Welcome it. Um, did you know any English when, uh, when you moved here? You said we moved here in 2000? Yes, 2000, right before 9-11, which was an interesting time. Oh, sure. But the only, you know, there were a few things I knew, like Apple. I remember on the airplane, I asked for an Apple and I felt so proud of myself. I was <laughs> like, that's it. I got this English stuff down and I got it. <laughs> Apple. And that, no, so I didn't know any English. And that was, that was a culture shock moving to the country just completely not speaking the word of English and we're coming from metric system and then everyone here yeah. feet and inches. And uh, so it, that was, that was something to experience. And, uh, but it, it worked out well for us because we were thrown in, in East Tennessee when the town we, we grew, grew up in, there weren't any Russian speaking people and we were kind of thrown into the regular classes. And, but it worked out really well for us because we had to sink or swim kind of situation. Yeah. And, uh, it, it kind of uh, expedited our learning English learning process much faster because I know a lot of people that live here in the United States that moved around the same time as me and they moved to like bigger cities where they had large mm-hmm. speaking uh, Russian speaking communities and they still struggle mm-hmm. with English to this day. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just so blessed. It was hard. Trust me. It was super hard not knowing the language and try to communicate with others. But I'm glad that during that first couple of years that we were in the situation where we couldn't just, knock on somebody's doors. Hey, go translate for me. Yeah. <laughs> we had to figure it out and it worked out really well for us. Yeah, dude. Well, your English is incredible. You should, well, thank you. I appreciate you're it. doing better than me, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, tell me about your childhood, dude. Like what, what was it like? 
Well, I grew up in uh, Kiev, and it was an interesting time because, like I shared earlier, I'm older than my country, which is kind of crazy to, to think about. Because yeah. 1991, that's when my country declared its independence, uh, Ukraine. Before then, so my birth certificate is a is old USSR birth certificate, uh, which is kind of cool. It's something like from the movies it was. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I always say my little brother, Ukraine. But uh, when I lived in Ukraine, uh, during the time when uh, there's this chaos, there was, imagine just government collapsing. There was no law and order, just crazy. All these uh, mafias ruling the country, fighting for power. And um, we grew up as, uh, as, we were persecuted Christians. My father was an underground pastor in Kiev, Ukraine during the Soviet Union wow. before the fall of the US, uh, USSR. How did he become a he, Christian? I don't want to derail like, sorry, yeah, you're, yeah, yeah, he, but how did he become a Christian? His mom was a believer and he kind of strayed away from, from faith, but then through several God moments, uh, he just kind of went back into faith and wow. went full force and... And, and so he became a pastor and started pastoring a small church where he had to go underground, hide from the local authorities. And it's interesting, they, they met up at different houses, apartments in the middle of the night for church service. Wow. And what was that I like? Yeah, kind of, what was that like? That was, it, it was, uh, man, I, I, it's amazing, you know, because a lot of times people are like, wow, it must have been hard for you guys living in such uh, persecution. But it, it's something about persecution, you know, when, when church has is church's back is against the wall, so to speak. When church has to surrender to God one hundred percent, that's when beautiful things happen. Yeah. I mean, I've heard of stories of uh, how church members would have dreams and visions in the middle of the night where to go for church service, like literally street addresses, wow. times, and, and sure enough, that show up and they'd have church services. It's kind of like you know when there's when I think Christians we're light, right? We're love and we're light. We carry that light and. Uh, in darkness, light shines brighter. And mm. that's why you see, this is my personal opinion, but I think you see a lot more supernatural things in the darkest places yep. of the world because the contrast is huge, you know, when, when yeah. there's darkness and light. And it, I think it's more first in the countries that are primarily Christian, it's a, it's a little different because you're like a candle in a, in a bright room, you know, yeah. it's, it's, there's certain, so you see a lot more miracles. I mean, I remember dad telling stories how they would meet up in the middle of the woods at night for prayer for prayer and sure enough you know through visions of dreams people would show up at the same time and uh persecution for example kgb the local authority they would try to uh get any kind of damaging information on my father because they try to lock him up once and for good because you know once you have the leader you have the church and we lived on the fifth floor of a 10-story apartment building and it's like this old soviet apartments and uh the local authority that would try to knock on neighbors' doors and try to gather any kind of information about my father so they could just once and for all, just uh, for good, catch him and uh, put him in prison. But, you know, one story that my dad told me, this is kind of interesting, and he heard it from neighbors that, that kind of shared this with him. They would knock on the doors and they would ask for damaging information. And so most neighbors said nice things about us. You know, we're Christians are full of love, right? When you squeeze a Christian, love should, comes out, should come out. At least it should. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, so they said they're just nice nice people. They're peaceful, kind people. But they said, you know, obviously family of nine kids, they can be a little rowdy at times. Yeah. We did play <laughs> soccer inside the apartments. <laughs> yeah. uh, sure, the neighbors below and above and to the side, I'm sure they weren't happy about that. Yeah. So they complain a little bit about that. But the one thing that they share that kind of stuck with me to this day, they said that sometimes at night we hear rushing water coming out of their apartment. And uh, 
I thought that was interesting because it was during those nights when church members would gather for prayer. Mm. And uh, I always found that fascinating how they described, you know, a large group of people praying all at once as rushing water. Wow. To me, that's, that's, a, that's, that's, that's interesting. That was really powerful. It's yeah. a statement to make that we, we are, you know, when believers gather together to pray, we are like that rushing water. I mm. mean, nothing will, nothing will, will, uh, you know, whatever's in the way will be, it will, God will move that, uh, you know, through prayer, through, uh, obedience. And so, but because my father was a believer living in a communist country, he was hindered from advancing in our society. He, there was no private sector like here in the United States. He couldn't just start a business. Everything was owned by the country because people always ask me like, well, why were you guys so poor? It's like, well, we weren't poor because my, my parents were lazy. None of that. My, right. my dad is a very hardworking man. We were poor because the government did not want Christians to advance. They didn't want them to go to higher learning school, you know, to higher education. They made sure the Christians were, um, had to settle for low paying jobs. And every time my father was captured and written up, it, it greatly affected his pay even more. So mm. his bonuses were taken away. And it got to the point to where we had to share our toothbrushes growing up. I mean, that was a humbling wow. experience. I would wow. brush my teeth and give my toothbrush to my mom and she would wash it with hot water and soap and then she'll give it to somebody else in line. Mm. And that's not the only thing we had to share. We we also had to take turns to go outside to play because we didn't have enough shoes for everybody in the family. Wow. Imagine going outside to play and then you come back and then your brother takes your shoes and then he goes outside to play. And, uh, but uh, the same thing with toys as well. We didn't have access to a lot of toys and we used our imagination though. This is, uh, this is actually very unique. There's no copyright on, on, on the toys that we've created. You should try it with your kids. <laughs> we went outside and, uh, during that time when we lived like early nineties, Coca-Cola yo-yos were so popular. Like the, the USSR just fell apart mm. and, uh, Coca-Cola was making its way in the Eastern Bloc, and everyone in the neighborhood had these like really fancy Coca-Cola yo-yos. And mm. I remember they were super, they were like red with the logo and I wanted one too. And I remember Coca-Cola even hired this one guy, just random people would walk through the streets of Kiev and they would like do all these tricks, like walking out the dog, you know, just yeah. all these yo-yo tricks. Yeah. And we wanted one so, so bad, but we couldn't afford it. And uh, what we did was genius. We would find Coca-Cola caps and we would flip them. We would drill a little hole through the middle, find a little match or a stick to put through some strings. And we made yo-yos of the oh Coca-Cola caps. But that's, that's, not, uh, that's not all we did. We were like entrepreneurs. We improved our product. <laughs> yeah. we, we would wave those yo-yos down with clay. And then the old school Coca-Cola caps, if you take the cap off and that, that second, you know, that uh, plastic ring that seals the cap, mm-hmm. it stays on the bottle once you take the, the, cup, the cap off. So then we would take that ring off at the same time as well. And the old school rings that seal the cap, they, like on the inside, they had these little spikes, like plastic spikes. And if you invert it, they like stick up randomly. And we would slide those uh, rings on the ends of the Coca-Cola caps. And so our yo-yos had spikes. And so you can imagine when it's spinning, it would like cut through paper and grass. Oh my gosh, it's pretty sweet. Dude. It was, uh, it, I wish uh, I need to recreate something like that with yeah. my kids nowadays. It's amazing it, it, how creative kids will get. You do. When, uh, and we, with limited resources. When you have, when you're limited, yeah, limited resources, you come up with some beautiful things. Yeah. I, I always say it's good for your kid when I, when you're, when our kids say they're bored, I'm just like, whenever my kids yeah. say they're bored, I'm like, that's great. Like, this is finally, <laughs> you know, you're going to, some creativity is going to spark. Um, that's, that's exactly what my wife says. She's like, I want them to get bored so that they go yeah. and they come up with beautiful things. What's your wife's that's background? True. 
she also came from the, the Soviet Union mm. world, but but her story is a little different in a way because she sounds. I mean, she's as American as apple pie. I mean, she grew up in <laughs> a small town in Ohio, and but she was her mom her parents they were back then in the, in 89 they were moving through Italy they were mm-hmm. one of the first people to leave this this was during the time when it was still a communist country mm-hmm. when they were moving and so she was born in Italy as they were on the way to America so they had oh, to make wow. a pit stop in Italy and because she was uh, a baby they wouldn't let her to get on the airplane mm. and so she they had to wait um six months I think before they would be able to move to the United States so she was six months when she came here to the States but she still speaks Russian and Ukrainian so it it worked out Uh, her story I mean she comes same same thing persecuted parents uh it just there's i in fact i got a camera i'm gonna this week or next week i'm gonna i'm gonna have to record her dad because every time i come over for dinner he shares stuff like how how christians were persecuted how the bolsheviks took over the, the same what kind of strategies they used fear tactics and things mm. it's just like the stories he tells me just wow they're powerful and so I was like I want to make sure I capture them on, on video so yeah. that way my kids when they grow up Absolutely. they can hear all those stories that'd be huge it could be a movie just from all the stories sure. you told me I'm sure man what when as you were a kid like what was your thoughts about the future like did you think about the future did you I mean were you like stuck in the did you have like dreams of things you wanted to do or like what I, I mean for me <laughs> growing in, the, in a, the states when you grow up you're like we're, we live in a country that we we think okay I like you're told from a young age, you can do anything, right? If you just work hard enough, you can kind of do anything. But that environment where you're growing up, obviously, I, I can't imagine that's the message that kids are hearing. Like, what what were your <laughs> thoughts uh, as a kid growing up about what you wanted Th- to do? That's an that's an interesting question. You know, I remember watching in you know, when I was in uh, in Ukraine, watching Boy Meets World. Do you remember that oh, show? Yeah, dude, that's one of my Boy favorite Meets World. Show, yeah. Yeah, I watched it uh, in uh, Russian language the first time I watched it. I just remember watching it and I remember thinking, people live like that? Mm. Like, surely that's not the norm. Like, mm. this is not this is not normal. People don't live like yeah. that. This is just like movies and stuff. So I, I couldn't even imagine living like that, like people having cars. And it, to me, it, it was something that uh, I felt like it was made up. And so the environment that I grew up, for example, I remember going to school. We couldn't afford school supplies. And I remember my teacher gosh she would ridicule me in front of the whole class me and my twin brother and she would make us i was see the thing is i was embarrassed to admit that we didn't have school supplies and i didn't want to tell my teacher that we, didn't, we couldn't afford them so instead i lied to her which was probably my fault because mm-hmm. i just didn't want to you know be ridiculed even more but it made her so mad she would she would uh, make me get up in front of the class and she would just make me walk around and beg for a pen and paper from my classmates. Mm. And uh, that was a humbling experience. And so I felt like I will probably the best thing that could ever happen to me if I just find like a factory job somewhere. Like I, I couldn't even imagine future. Like uh, I remember the teacher actually told us that the best thing that can ever happen to you guys if you if you move to the United States and boy was that prophetic. Mm, <laughs> One time she even said that I'll never forget it. But I, I couldn't see the future to be honest with you because when we moved to the United States we had a uh, a, a stranger from the church just brought a computer for us and I remember just like looking at that computer like wow only rich people have computers like we have a computer and then a little short time later somebody donated like a used car for our family to use and Mm. i remember like we have a car and like the possibilities just started opening up and i remember we 
just learn everything we could on that computer. We didn't speak the language, and we learned all. There was uh, Adobe software, I remember Premiere, like some like uh, video editing software, and we completely learned inside and out mm. all the things that were there. And and I remember just like th- those aha moments, like wow, I can actually make something of myself. Like mm. this is like those little little moments, like whoa, whoa. This I can actually do this. This yeah. is happening. This is working. The first time I made a little video that, and, and it kind of opened doors for us to to go in the media and uh, do the things that I'm doing today. And but is I couldn't see it in Ukraine. There's no way. It was only when I came to the United States when I was told that you can be anything, you can do anything. And I believed it. Mm. I was so in on it. Mm. Like I, I, my teachers told me in Ukraine that you're gonna be a criminal. The best thing that can happen to you. In fact, my mom. Growing up, because of such a large family, uh, we come from a large family, nine kids. My mom, with each pregnancy, she was uh, some of the closest people to her, her friends, her relatives, and uh, co-workers, doctors, nurses. They would say things like, what are you doing bringing such a large family into this world? You can't provide for them. So mm. chances are they'll grow up to be criminals. They will kill, still destroy. And you know, my, no mom wants to hear that. But it is interesting. I will share the story. I think this is a powerful story. You know, if you don't get anything, if people don't get anything out of my my story today, I want them to walk away with this. What my mom did was beautiful. She would take her hands and uh, with each pregnancy, she would literally take her hands and she would put her hands on her belly and she would speak life over us. Mm. Like she would just, because devil is a liar, you know, whatever he says, you just flip it. And that's the truth. He can't tell the truth. It's not his nature. And so my mom understood that and she just spoke life instead. And she would, first she would say, my kids will grow up and they will they will serve the Lord. Everything they touch will prosper. They'll be the head and not the tail. And she would speak those things every night. And I do this over my kids. Mm. I do this every night. And you know what's so interesting is that I'm sure when she prayed that prayer the first time, things didn't change right away. I'm, you know, I'm sure things probably got even worse financially and everything else. But looking back now, 20 years later, you know, we're all in the United States. Everyone is serving the Lord. Everyone wow. is a productive citizen and doing well. And to this day, my mom, her seven o'clock is like 7 p.m. She might have changed it by now, but I think 7 p.m. is her prayer night, a prayer prayer time. We know not to call around 7, 8-ish, somewhere in that neighborhood, because that's her prayer. She, if you call, she'll say, hey, it's my prayer time. What do you, what, yeah. what do you, this better be urgent. <laughs> right. Yeah. Usually you call like, you know, 30 minutes before then just to put a prayer request. And so the power of prayer, let me tell you, there's power in what you speak, what you say over each, little ones, especially, yeah. you know, when my teacher was speaking over me, the things that she was speaking, I believed them. It took me years to, to really uh, detox all those things that were spoken over me. Mm. And uh, I think it's super important what you, what you say over yourself too. I mean, you can't love your neighbor if you don't love yourself. And yeah. some of the things that people speak over themselves is uh I think you're just, uh, you're going to attract all that. (laughs) Be careful what you speak over yourself because Mm. it may just come true. So that's a power of of what you speak and prayer. Those are the things that my mom passed to me. And to this Mm. day, every night, I I always declare things that I want to see come to pass. Hey guys, I can assure you that we are just getting started into the good stuff. Uh, so make sure you stick around. But I do want to take a quick pause here and thank my friends over at Blinkist for sponsoring today's episode. If you're not familiar, Blinkist is one of the most used apps on my phone. I absolutely love them. It's a unique and powerful app. It can go on your phone, your tablet, or your web browser. It gives you the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information from over 3,000 nonfiction bestsellers in over 27 categories. Blinkist condenses them down into what they just what they call blinks, which you can read or listen to in just 15 minutes or less. 
I've been traveling. I'm in the middle of six weeks in a row uh, on a plane. And uh, and so I've been listening to a ton of books on Blinkist. They even have full-length audiobooks and podcasts now, which is a new feature of them. But I've been listening to a bunch of books as I've been traveling on the plane. It's a really great way to get a lot of information in a very short amount of time, which is really great for us as busy dads. Um, I've mentioned before, two of my favorite books of this year are Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker and former uh, guest on the Dad Tired Show, John Mark Homer has a book on Blinkist called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Right now for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash tired to start your free seven-day trial and get 25% off a Blinkist premium membership and up to 65% off audiobooks. Yours to keep forever. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash tired to get 25% off a premium membership and a seven-day free trial Blinkist.com slash tired. Man, I, I think that that is powerful. I think that there are, um, I, I talk a lot about this on the podcast and in the Dad Tired book, but there's a sense of, one thing I say a lot is that we don't pray because we don't actually feel deep down that we need God to show up um, oftentimes. And, my, and we would never say that. I would never say, mm-hmm. well, I don't really need God to show up. But the truth is I'm not actually praying a lot because I don't really feel that I desperately need God. Like I subconsciously, I think I believe, well, if I just work hard enough or if I kind of mm-hmm. put my, I, I'm a good problem solver or if I, I, if I figure out better resources or good connections or whatever, or if I had more money, there's other things that will help me solve my problems. And so I don't really need God, which is mm-hmm. why we find ourselves praying most when we're out of control, when our kids are sick, mm-hmm. when we just got fired or whatever it is. Now all of a sudden we're praying, we need God to show up, right? <laughs> And, right. uh, and so I think that what your mom was doing is just like, she, she needed, like, where else was she going to go? What else was she going to do? Like, just based nowhere. on, there's nowhere else she's going to go. She's like, that I, was her only source. That's her only source. And so she's praying. And that's why we say, man, like, I think, and it goes back to what you were saying earlier in your story, like the light shines brightest in the darkest places. I always think, man, in those places where it, there's so much darkness and persecution, uh, where, and God just shows up so big because he's, what else is there? Like, what other God are you going to turn to to get your hope? You can't turn to enough money or education or service. Like, there is nothing. We need God to show up. And, dude, I think God just loves, like, showing off his glory in those situations, <laughs> you know? Um, so I that's, like, my long-winded way of processing what you just said. But I, I do think no, it, that's, it's beautiful, dude. It's so beautiful, like, that and desperation. You know what's interesting that you're talking about desperation and things, and it's something that I – my dad one time was – was very uh, honest with me. And he just said, you know, if I, uh, he said in a way, weird way, he missed those days when he was, there was persecution where he was because yep. he said there was a, uh, you know, when it, it's so hard, I, I feel like faith is like a muscle, right? You got to exercise it. Mm-hmm. And it's so hard to have, to exercise that muscle in the first world country when if you have financial problems, there's credit cards, loans. If you have problem medically, you go to the hospital, there's access to everything. You can solve yeah. things yourself. Like you were saying earlier, problem solvers. Yeah. You don't really need God that much, as much as you do in third world countries. If God doesn't show up, you're dead. If God doesn't show up, you're starving. If God doesn't... And, uh, you know, persecution, they had to rely on God 100%. They were like fit athletes. And then when you get to the first world country, faith-wise... It's like you go get out of shape faith-wise because, so because you're so, um, you have everything. You don't need, you don't need God. 
And it's harder to see God in times when things are great and good. And that's a struggle that um, I think all first world uh, people in the first world country struggle with. It's a uh, get cut up in everyday life, business and family, this and that. You, it's, it's totally different. When you wake up and you don't have anything for breakfast, like my mom would, I remember she's like, what are we going to eat tomorrow? I don't know. God will, God will provide mm. that. I'll tell you a story my, my wife shared one time. Her grandma, their story is just their persecution, like times 10, just uh, murder and all this stuff, yeah. uh, jail time. But uh, her uh, father... I think, so the grandma, her mom and dad, so dad was supposed to go to war. He said, look, I'm not going to go to war because I don't want to kill, you know, the Bible says you should not. Anyway, so he started quoting the Bible to them that, you know, and so they said, okay, you don't want to go to war, then uh, we're going to have to execute you. He's like, okay, fine. And so they killed him, right? So now there's a family without a father. And so they declare that family to be like the enemies of the state. It's like nobody help them. And so there's a family, like seven kids or something, a huge family. And so grandma was part of that family. And the grandma would ask mom, like, mom, how, where are we going to get food tomorrow? She said, don't worry, the Lord will provide. And so they prayed and went to sleep. And next day, a bag shows up with shoes for everybody, some potatoes and food for her kids, like random, you know, who brought them? They don't know. And they lived like that for, for a very long time because nobody was allowed to help them. But randomly, somehow things would show up. And the thing. now, can you imagine how the faith that they had? Yeah or the faith you have to have to get through those days. Right. And um, so, yeah, that's a, uh, that's somebody who has to rely a hundred percent to God. You have to die to a hundred percent to self. And, and that's when faith, uh, you know, you start exercising your faith even more. I love that, man. That that's part of the reason why uh, it frustrates me so much when I hear people who go to these third world countries and their takeaway is, I just realized how blessed I am. And I'm <laughs> like, dude, you're, you're not blessed. Like you're not the blessed one. Uh, look at them. Look at their faith. Like look at the way that that woman or your mom like was praying to God. Like she knew, knows God. I guarantee your mom has a relationship with Jesus and a faith in Jesus that I will never get to know or experience this side of heaven. I just don't like. I there's no way. Like she she is she has gone to desperate places to plead with the Lord in ways that I probably. You and me both. Haven't, both, right? Yeah. yeah. And so like, dude, she's blessed. She's way more blessed. Like she gets to know God in ways that I, I have. So the takeaway that look how blessed we are because I have more stuff. Dude, my stuff is often the thing that keeps me from getting yes. closer to Jesus. And so that's not a blessing. Uh, what I, and I know I'm getting into dicey territory. Some people are going to say, how can you say it's not a blessing? <laughs> Everything good's a blessing for sure. But dude, oftentimes, if we're honest, a lot of our stuff and what we consider to be blessing is actually the thing that's keeping us closer to Jesus. So sorry to get, I'll get off my pedestal on this one, but. Uh, no, dude. and I think what you say is is very true. And you know, living, see, I, I have, I can compare things because I lived in the third world country and yeah. I live in the first world country. And uh, those are the things that, you know, I, I had a conversation with somebody just recently and the guy was uh, from the third world country and we were talking during lunch. And this is somebody I just met like on the spot and he was just saying, just asking questions about what was it like to live in the United States? And what, and he, he told me that he's like, I have a chance to move to the United States, but I'm, I'm really scared too, because I know once I'll be in, in the prosperity or just, you know, my life is, is going to you know, go to a different level financially and things like that. I'm afraid that I will fall away from the Lord. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't think twice about it. I was like, why would you say that? That's just kind of, but you know, I see his point. It's just, you know, I think that uh, 
it's possible to live in the United States and be connected to God. You just have to be very intentional. Mm-hmm. God has to be, you know, first seek the kingdom of God is righteousness. That has to be uh, the most important thing. And uh, again, because I feel like it's harder to live in third, first world countries because there's, first of all, the standard is so much higher. Mm-hmm. Just to just to be in, in this country, you got to work harder, fast. You know, there's just a lot. It's, it's easier to get busy and sidetracked. So you just got to have to be more intentional uh, about uh, the things of God and the staying in the ward. And, and, and maybe sometimes it's like for me, what I do when I get so off track and I feel like I'm like, man, this is all meaningless. What am I doing? Like, I'm just chasing the wind. You know? And then, so I just get on YouTube and I listen to testimonies and there's just, you know, testimonies are powerful mm-hmm. and they stir me up and I'm like, oh man, and my tears just like, mm wow, I'm so far off track or call mom and dad and ask them about what was life there. Just sometimes you got to be more intentional to yeah. stir yourself up and remind yourself listening to interviews like this one, remind yourself that, you know, first seek the kingdom of God, his righteousness and the rest will be added to you. Mm. That's good, man. I, uh, you know, we're an interesting generation because we are, I, I, my wife was just talking to me about this the other day, but we are the last generation that our age that knows what life was like pre-technology and then, <laughs> you know, now with our, our world saturated in technology and uh, our kids will never know that. They were born with iPhones mm-hmm. in their hands, right? Like it's, it was, they, they moved into a, they were born into a very technology um, saturated world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a comparison there. And um, the reason I bring that up is because it, it you have a foot in kind of two different camps uh, you, you have experience in two different worlds. Uh, you were born into a world that looks very different than the world you currently live in. And so I, I guess I'm curious, like for you with that kind of experience, these dueling um, experiences that you had uh, or, or different experiences that you had, like how do you parent your kids now oh, in man. a world where you know so much? Like I think about my kid, I'm like, you don't even know what the world was like before technology. And for you, it'd be like, you don't even know like what the world was like <laughs> for me growing up. Like, man, uh, I'd love to hear how you've processed that or how you're processing that. It's tough. I don't think I, you know, it's, it's a question that uh, my wife and I asked all the time. Like, and I'm just lucky that, uh, my wife is, I married someone who's very intentional of, of, uh, you know, off the screen kind of person. She's tried, she makes it a, a mission every day to make sure we go somewhere away to some place. We just went camping yeah. where it was just like no electricity, nothing. It's just, uh, it, it's tough because you see what technology does. Cause you know, for example, the social life growing up in the Eastern Bloc with no technology, I think was totally different. I feel like kids were a lot more advanced socially. Mm-hmm. And, and then I feel like the technology numbs certain things, you know, it's just, uh, anyway, so, and I'm not like completely anti-technology because I think, you know, I, my job a hundred percent depends on technology. Right. And so I want them to know those things, but at the same time, there's this fine balance that I haven't found. And, and it's tough because like you said, it's so new. We're all just processing right. all of this stuff. And, uh, you don't know how much is enough. All this research says this much, that much. And you, you know, we're just learning on a job here. Right. Right. And, uh, so it's one of those things that I still, to this day, I'm trying to, to be more intentional, trying to get them involved in things that outside of technologies, you know, like camping, soccer, Yeah, but it, it is tough. How but, are you dealing with that? Well, well, uh, I'll, I'll answer that in just a second. Uh, but even just with, even if you just set the technology piece aside, I mean, you were talking about sharing toothbrushes and sharing shoes. Like, how do you go from that world <laughs> 
to now your kids, you know, like even if you just set the technology aside, mm. like just like trying to teach them uh, just about like all the things we've been talking about, you know, uh, mm-hmm. how do you combine well, those worlds? And you know, what's, what's so cool. It was, you know, circling back to, to the shoe boxes, for example, like we found that one way with the family, it's just like a big tradition. Every Christmas we pack shoe boxes and one way to kind of, uh, deal with that is to, to have them participate in generosity, mm. uh, together. It's, it's a family event. We, you know, we, cause it's like the first time we did it. I remember kids are like, I want this. How can I, no, I want, why right. should I send it to the other person? This nuts. It's like, well, and then you explain to them through action. Look, let me show you what generosity looks like. Yeah. And then through that, it's a good teaching opportunity to show them how people live in, in, in other parts of the world. And it's really hard sometimes. Like, my kids would be complaining about something and I just stopped the like, kids. Don't you understand how good you have it? Yeah. Like, and I tell them, like, I had to, you know, this is, I, you have your own bedroom with your own queen size bed. Right. Right. Like I didn't have a queen size, like never, like, you know, I had to share a, share a bed with my twin, twin brother, like for, for a very long time. Like yeah. you, you kids, you, you have, how many pairs of shoes do you have? <laughs> right. and, and so a part of me wants to get mad and just, kind of this resent thing like oh man they just don't know how you and uh but i think it's just it all goes back to they just lack an experience they need uh you know i, I like this saying i forget who said it's instead of spoiling your kids with toys and things spoil them with experience and i am seriously considering this i want to send them because we have relatives in ukraine that still live like on the outskirts of ukraine like the, in the villages where they still have running water or, or don't have running water and outhouses and mm-hmm. Uh, no air conditioning. And I, I just want to send them there mm-hmm. for like a summer. <laughs> just so when they fly back to the country and they land and they start kissing the ground, like, oh, America. Because <laughs> <laughs> you have to experience that. It's like you can't teach them. It doesn't matter what you try yeah. as much as you want to try. You can't. It's not something like you were talking about the relationship that my mom, for example, had with Christ. It's something that it, you can't teach that. That's it's right. something you have to yeah. walk through, live through. And it doesn't matter how many times I tell them how good you guys have it, it, they have to experience it for themselves. And as much, you know, sometimes people are like, oh, Vladimir, it must have been horrible for you living through the things that you went through. And I'm like, man, the best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah. I, I wish that on everyone. Yeah. Because, it, you know, obviously we came, came from it and we, you know, God delivered us from it. But what an experience that was for us to go through. I remember when we, my dad brought a piece of candy and he split it. Like it was like one of those small, tiny things. And he had to split it in like 10 ways, nine mm. ways. And we all just eating it. And there was something about that moment where we all get together and there's this humility. This mm. We're all together. It's the closest thing that I can compare to is when you fast. If you fast for like two, three days, just water fast. You feel that same humi- humility. You feel there's something about fasting that brings out those same emotions, mm. those feelings. Every time I fast, it brings me back to to those days when you become like one with. I don't know. You just more, become more sensitive to to people's needs and mm. feelings and emotions. When your stomach is full, it's easy to get arrogant. Like ah, I'm fine. But mm. there's something about fasting. And so that's how I would describe that feeling that I felt that time when we were all just together and we're all just. It was such a beautiful moment, and uh, t- yeah. to this day, like just thinking about it, they get chills. That, uh, yeah. and it's unfortunate that not everybody gets to feel that and experience that. Even though it's a negative, it's something that you think that it's a terrible emotion. Like, why would you want somebody to experience something like that? But there's so much beauty in that. Yeah, I, I feel pressed to just like for the guys who are listening. There are some guys who are in the thick of some hard thing right now, um, whether it's a marriage thing, 
something difficult with their kids or at work or just in life. They're, they're dealing with something hard. And uh, oftentimes in those moments, the prayer is, God, will you get me out of this? Like, will you rescue mm. me from this? <laughs> and I, I guess I just feel pressed to remind that guy who's ever listening, who's in the thick of it, that maybe right now is exactly where God wants you to be. And he's actually considering it a blessing for you. That if you're in the thick of like a hard marriage thing or you're dealing with some stuff with your kids or uh, work or whatever, maybe the blessing isn't on the other side of this. Maybe the blessing is right in the middle of it. And uh, God, God is actually blessing you right now because everything else that you thought was going to bring you joy or bring you satisfaction or give your soul rest has failed you. Mm. And maybe God is trying to finally show you the only one who's going to satisfy your soul is me. And so you turn to me in the midst of this. Um, I'm just reminded <laughs> uh, of that truth, man, as you share your story. So I'm so grateful that you, you you've yeah, even just given us a There are lessons that God wants us to learn from those things. You know, I, f- I feel like a lot of us were waiting for a destination, but it's not so much a destination. It truly is a journey. And uh, it's something that years later, you'll look back and like, wow, it was a hard time. You know, even now thinking back, you know, having two kids, remember the early days when they were first born and the hardships, waking up many, many times a night. I remember waking up one night and just like, my, my wife was like, hey, why don't you pick up, stop rocking him, I'm rocking him. And then she's like, where's the baby? I'm like, ah, I never picked him up. Oh my gosh. <laughs> just, just exhausted, just out of my mind. But but looking back, the, those were some of the most precious times. Like there's so many lessons to learn mm. and how precious those times were. But in the middle of but it, it was just like, I can't wait to get through this. Like, this right. is not, and I, I can imagine this is probably how my dad felt. And now looking back, he it was almost, he was wanting those times again, because he was stretched more for God. He was, his faith was stretched more. He was believing more and pushing further, going deeper. But, you know, all, all the magic happens outside of your comfort zone. And, but when you're in your comfort zone, everything's good. Everything, you're in that bubble. Right. That's in a way it's a trap. Totally. And they can lead to bad things. You know, mm-hmm. even reading the Bible, King David, when he was comfortable at home doing nothing, bad things happened to him. And, mm-hmm. and so the, the greatest place to be is on assignment. And my father understood that, that the mm-hmm. best, the greatest place to be is on assignment. And even though he understood that it was dangerous, but if you're where you should be, God will protect you. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter, you know, if, if he ran from that and ran somewhere else for safety, comfort, and security. Yeah, there would be no protection for him. You know, not as much. You know, God placed him there for a reason. He was on assignment, and that was the safest place to be for him. If you think about it, that's a good word, dude. That's a good word, man. Um, how did you get involved? We've worked with Samaritan's Purse in the past, the Dad Tired mm-hmm. audience, and we we've got guys who have packed these boxes. How? What was your experience? Uh, you received boxes, right? As as a kid. Yeah, I received one and uh, everyone in my family received one. But the way I got involved was actually very interesting. When I moved to the States, I remember seeing the the Operation Christmas Child logos, at, like during the collection week and stuff. I saw churches and I didn't under- quite understand. I thought kids in America here were receiving shoeboxes. I was like, oh, this must be like the time of the year that everybody gets a shoebox in the Bible oh, yeah. kind of thing, right? Yeah. And, uh, and so I just remember seeing East Tennessee where I grew up, uh, just it was very active and I just remember thinking, Oh, I got one of those too. This is so special. And then uh, years later when I moved down to Charlotte or I, I guess I was living in Columbus, my brother was already here in Charlotte, my twin brother. And I want to follow my twin brother, you know, because again, we were so close and I remember just going through the Billy Graham library. Have you been through it? Mm. Oh, it's an amazing experience. I went through the Billy Graham library and it's, it'll take you like an hour to go through the whole thing. And it's just uh, videos and pictures mm. and things, how, 
built, you know, just his whole life. And yeah. you just at the at the end, you just ask yourself, like, what have I done with my life? Like, mm. wow, this one man in his one lifetime accomplished so much. And uh, anyway, and I just remember it was kind of ringing in the back of my mind as I was going back to Columbus. And I just randomly, I was like, wait a minute, there's uh, the headquarters are there. So I, I want to see if they're hiring. And I just went on their website and they had an opening for a web designer developer. And that's what I was. And, and so I applied and didn't think much of it because I didn't think I was good enough to work there. You know, I, mm. I worked with some agencies here and there, but my confidence wasn't up there. And so like not even, I don't know, maybe like 24 hours later, they called me immediately and like, Hey, uh, I, I guess they were, they were trying to fill this job for a while. Mm. And he, he was like, Hey, how quickly can you come down here for an interview? So they flew me in. I want to say like in the same week, this is very fast. Wow. Yeah. And during the interview, there were, you know, it's one of those things that when you work for Billy Graham, what, that organization is just, just excellence and everything that I, I've never experienced anything like it. But during the interview process, you get to meet everyone in a building. I mean, mm. it's the most intimidating thing. <laughs> you get like many interviews in one day. And, but one question they asked me, they asked me, yeah, I can't remember who asked me, but there was, the question was brought up, like, how did you get in? Or do you have any prior involvement with Billy Graham or anything like that? And I told him, no, my brother volunteered at the Crusades in Moscow, I think, with the youth or something like that. But as for me personally, I tried to think hard. You know, it is an interview after all, trying to impress him. <laughs> but I, somehow I connected the dots. Somehow I knew that the shoeboxes were connected with Billy Graham. I didn't know. Now I understand that Samaritan's Purse is a sister organization of uh, Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. So Franklin Graham is a CEO of both. He kind of wears both many hats, I guess. But... Uh, but I didn't know it back then, but I just told them, well, I received a shoebox with Operation Christmas Child when I was nine years old. And they were like, what? You received a shoebox? And again, I was just like, yeah, everyone gets a shoebox, right? Like, it's <laughs> right. like Boy Scouts in America. You graduate, yeah. you get an Eagle Scout or you get a shoebox in the Bible. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they were like, no, that's not how it works. And so that's how I got plugged in with them. Mm. They were just, you know, then they connected me with Operation Christmas Child. So needless to say, I, I got the job. I hope the shoebox is not why I got the job. But if it did, then it's a <laughs> gift that keeps on giving, right? <laughs> right. And, and then, then so I met with uh, Operation Christmas Child. They trained me. Uh, they asked me if I wanted to share my story. And so I thought, oh, sure, that'd be cool on the weekends, I guess. Them. So from time to time, they would use me on the weekend here, on the weekend there. And it was so much fun because the more I learned about the ministry, how intentional it is, I went to the first uh, Global Connect conference and I was I was in tears in my hotel room because mm. during the conference, they were explaining how intentional this is. It's a tool, right? The, the shoeboxes, they come with the, with the gospel. Kids get to hear the gospel. Not only that, but there's a 12-lesson discipleship program uh, called The Greatest Journey where kids learn more about Jesus and, and then they become like disciples and then mm -hmm. they're encouraged to witness to their friends. So it has a multiplication process. And I saw this presentation, how they were showing how there are all these unreached parts of the world and how they're using these shoeboxes to go to different parts of the world to share the gospel. Because most countries, they will not let Christians come in, but they will take humanitarian work, you know? Mm. And so, but they don't understand that the gospel comes with these boxes and people pray for these boxes. And it's like little lights that go to these dark mm. parts of the world and they shine. So once I, I zoomed out and saw the whole picture, I was like, wow, send me anywhere. I'll share my story anywhere. This is mm. beautiful because, you know, children are the next generation. And we, we go after the children of this world to share the gospel because it's, it's harder to change older folks, right? But mm -hmm. children, they get to experience that God's unconditional love through a tangible gift. 
and with no strings attached unconditionally and they hear the gospel and then they have a 12 lesson 12 week follow up program with the local church so they get connected plugged into the church and you know these gifts are not just answered prayers to the children but also to the parents because the parents get to witness you know what's the I always say you want to show love to me show love to my, my kids that's mm-hmm. how you get to me mm-hmm. if you love on my kids you get to my heart right. and so children get or parents get to see the children open up gifts and those gifts are not just used toys they're amazing gifts you know when I received my gift it was like I had a, a toothbrush that no one had in my neighborhood. It was like mm. the most, it was like a, a hard, it was like a rock star toothbrush, like the one to rule them all. I mean, it was so mm. beautiful, colorful, <laughs> the way it was designed. It was so slick. Like I just remember how special it was. And I had this bar of soap that was like the whitest white I've ever seen. It was so squeaky clean, <laughs> so slick. And it had this print of the dove on top. It was, I call it my Holy Spirit in the box because it sanctified <laughs> the whole box for me. I mean, it was, mm. I, I, you know, I had the yo-yo that again, no one in my neighborhood, it was like the, so big and so colorful. And, and so these are, to us, we think to people think, you know, most people think like, well, I mean, these are cheap things for here in the United States. Like who, a toothbrush, like no child is going to get excited about a toothbrush, but, but that's not, not true at all. Like I was super excited about a mm-hmm. toothbrush and you know, everyone always wants to know like vitamin, what's that, the, your most memorable item out, out of the shoebox? And you know, for a lot of kids, it's different things for my sister, Nadia, for example, she, she, she got a Barbie in her shoebox. And in our culture during the nineties, like Barbie was like, the thing to have it was popular and not everybody could afford it yeah and in fact there was only like one girl in the neighborhood who had a barbie and it was kind of funny because her mom she wouldn't let her take this barbie outside because she was afraid that it would get stolen or lost Mm. or broken and so this girl what she did was funny she would get on the balcony and she would show this this barbie to all the little girls neighborhood and they would like line up like it was like a sad scene from romeo and juliet it was like the (laughs) the pope coming out you know And, and she would show this barbie to him to all the little girls and they would go, ooh and ah, you know. Oh, and man. so, but when my sister got a shoebox shoe box and a Barbie, uh, she she made sure to arrange sleepovers with this Barbie for all the little girls in the neighborhood. So everybody oh, got to gosh. take this Barbie home once. And the cool thing is that to this day, this Barbie is still blessing somebody somewhere. Because when we moved here to the United States, we gave this Barbie to another family that had a little girl. And that family gave it to another family. And, you know, 20 years later, this Barbie is still blessing somebody somewhere. So it might be missing an arm or a leg, but it's, it's probably still around somewhere. So wow. all that to say that my memorable item was dental floss. And uh, here, mm-hmm. here's why it was so memorable for me, because I thought it was candy, man. I remember thinking, what kind of candy is this? Like, this is some crazy American candy. I, I got a lot of it in a ball and I popped it in, in my mouth like a mint. Because it, it wasn't terrible. I mean, it had a, dis- a decent texture to it. But my uh, my mouth was so numb from all the mint, and I just remember thinking, interesting candy, really interesting candy. And uh, there's this guy who was observing me from just in the same room from a distance, and he came over, and he tried to explain to me in his broken Russian the best way he knew how that this is not what you think. And so he kind of what he got, he kind of pointed, he went like this. He, he tried to explain to me that this is for your teeth. And so what I get out of it is that it's like a toothbrush substitute. That's what I got out of it. I'm like, wow, like how is this effective? Like this fancy string supposed to brush your teeth? Like this is okay. Toothbrush is very effective, but like a fancy string, like how is that effective? (laughs) You know, but uh, I remember thinking, you know, only fools reject things they don't understand. And Mm. that, that uh, evening I I witnessed, uh, there were a a room with, there was several American, perfect, beautiful American smiles. 
And I remember thinking, well, clearly it's working for them. So it must be some kind of 21st century technology that hasn't reached my country yet. And uh, it wasn't until like, gosh, many years later when we finally moved to the United States and we were at our first dentist appointment. And I'll never forget the the dentist. He uh, he got that fancy string out and he started going between the teeth. And it's that like that aha moment, like, ah, oh, that's what if, uh, that's what it's for. And so let's just say I felt pretty silly. So. If you're going to pack a shoebox this year, make sure to throw one of these things in just to confuse a child or two. It's good for him. Builds character. So oh, dude, that's, that is that's awesome. my story yeah. uh, in a nutshell. Oh, man. man. Bro, what would you, what would you want to say like to the dad listening right now? He's, uh, he's you know, close to our age. He's got kids. He's trying to figure out how to point his family to Jesus. He's stumbling his way through. Would you have mm-hmm. any last words of encouragement for that guy that's just trying his best to be the spiritual leader of his home? You know, that's, that's uh, it's so close to my heart because it's something I think a lot about every day. The older my kids grow, I think about my responsibility as a father. You know, I know one day I'm going to stand before God and give an account for my children and how I raised them. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a tough question, you know, but I, I first say that, you know, first seek the, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You, you know, it's kind of like that seed. Uh, in order to produce much fruit, you first have to die to self. The seed has to go in the ground and die and then produce much fruit. So I think that's first. If, if God is not first in your life, then, uh, you know, you can try to do it yourself and you're going to be exhausted, burn out. And uh, you, then you might come out with a podcast that exhausted dad, right? <laughs> <laughs> but but I, w- I would first say, so seek the, the God and uh, try not to do things your own way. But another thing is to demonstrate, try to incorporate, show things to children. You know, I was talking about, it's all about experience and, uh, you know, generosity, for example, with the shoebox. It's, it's a great way. This project is a great way to, to show your kids generosity, to practice generosity, just like faith needs to be practiced and walked out. And I think that's a great way to, to, to include your kids into something that will benefit them for life. Because, you know, when you give, you, you, you receive. And, and that's something what I love about the United States is that in my country, a lot of people don't volunteer. They don't give their time. They don't give their money. And it shows. I mean, look at my country. They're struggling financially. They're struggling mm-hmm. with everything. And I think the reason why this country is prosperous in a lot of ways is because of generosity of people, not just financial, but time, like volunteering people, like Operation Christmas Child, hundreds of thousands of volunteers mm-hmm. given their time and uh, that moves hearts. That, that that kind of generosity is, you know, it's one thing. You can anybody can write a check and just send it in, but to show up, you give your time. That's mm-hmm. uh, it's powerful. And I think that's uh, if as as parents, if we can somehow maintain that in our culture and continue that in culture, because that's something that I admire about this culture that most Americans don't think about. It. Because most Americans think, well, if I'm not overseas in a third world country somewhere ministering, then I'm not, you know, maybe uh, one day I'll go on a mission trip and I did something for the Lord. But no, raising a child, I mean, who knows? He might be raising the next Billy Graham. Like, it's a huge, mm. huge thing. You know? it, and mm. so I think instead of looking outside, like, oh, I need to change the world, let's just look on the inside. God trusted you with kids. He's going to ask you about your kids and it's going to tr- ask you what have you mm. did you save the world and, and uh i think it starts uh small starts from the from the house and just encourage them to to uh do the things that they were doing but uh, and not get weary and doing good man you have uh you have brought me closer to jesus today bro uh just spending some time with you and uh, I'm, I'm so grateful to i know we probably only heard a little bit of your story but even just that little bit was so encouraging man so thank you for taking the time 
to uh, share with us, bro. I appreciate it a ton. Thank you so much for your time. Enjoyed it. Hey guys, hope you enjoyed today's interview with Vlad. Again, if you are serious about leading your family well, come over and join us in the family leadership program by going to dadtire.com forward slash lead.